Hi, I'm Rajorshi Dash and you're listening to Queer News and Storytelling in India. So today's guest has generously agreed to give me a second interview because the first time I was in his office, uh, let's say the sound wasn't exactly great, so I was not really able to do the editing uh, properly. <laughs> Pavan Dhal has been engaged with gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender and other queer community mobilization in eastern and other parts of India since the early 1990s. He was a founding member of Council Club 1993 to 2002 and Pravartak between 1991 to 1992 and then again from 1993 to 2000, which were amongst the first um, queer support forums and publications in India. He has studied economics in college and worked as a journalist, copywriter, and social communicator in his early years as a professional. From 2002 to 2014, he was with Sathi, an NGO that promotes universal access to health and social justice as part of the top-level management. He now leads um, Varta Trust, a Kolkata-based gender and sexuality publishing, research, advocacy, and training non-profit agency. Thank you so much, Pavan, for um, doing this again. And Thank you for having me again. So I'll just start with my the same question that I had last time. Like, what do you think is the importance of um, past in your life and in our life in general, uh, because your book, Out of Line and Offline, Queer Mobilizations in 90s Eastern India, kind of um, engages with letters, with, you know, these anecdotes, stories. So why do you think that the queer community of today, of people who are around, need to know about these stories? Well, um, I think that this is true of any social movement. Uh, we need to, you know, even as we move forward or do things in the current time, we have to look at the past because there are a lot of lessons to be learned from what was done in the past. And I mean, it's also a question of not reinventing the wheel if there's something that, that is already known or that has already been part of the larger community experience. Uh, why not look at it and learn from it and adapt from it? Uh, but also there is a further nuance I feel is that, you know, if uh, it's about uh, if, if you don't look at the past. So, for example, personally, when I see the Pride Box being organized, this is my just, just a very deeply felt personal reason. I just feel that the Pride Box, contemporary Pride Box, are a little rootless. Uh, in the sense that I'm not, I really don't want to undermine any of the initiatives, but I feel that it all seems to be so disjointed, so disconnected from the past. Uh, there is no sense of history. Uh, there's no sense that a lot of work has been done in the past and that something should be done to acknowledge that through, through, say, the write-ups of the Pride Walks that happen today or through other community engagements or even through the slogans or the banners or any such thing because uh, it's also about letting the larger society know that we 
uh, have been around for a long time and we have been uh, out in the public. We are here, we are clear, we are here and we're not going anywhere, mm-hmm. that particular line. So uh, I think it's very important to look at the past. And uh, personally, I can't help but look at the past and maybe sometimes uh, there's there's just too much nostalgia overtaking my day. But uh, I think it's important because I write uh, uh, in various forms. I write for the Vata webzine. Mm-hmm. I write for other uh, publications or for other uh, programs. and. I cannot start off just in the present. I, I mean, even, even as a writer, I feel I must show the context. I must uh, look at what has happened in the past and then come to the present and then think about the future. It kind of uh, reminds me, uh, since you mentioned the importance of uh, of sort of talking about the history of Pride and the larger trajectory, um, a couple of years back in 2019, I think we celebrated the 20th uh, anniversary of the 1999 Friendship Walk. And yeah. I believe that you were an integral part of the uh, the people who organized it. And I remember we had a discussion about it. Now, mm-hmm. why do you think it's important to celebrate, you know, like commemorate in a way those kind of moments? Um and this is, of course, the Pride Month. Uh, this is June. But increasingly, and I think we talked about this also, what is Pride? Like, yeah. you mentioned that which event or which walks came to be known as uh, Prides and, you know, which were not sort of labeled as Pride. So do you think this is a matter also about class, urban, uh, rural, um, you know, issues of caste? Uh, so that's a... A very complex question, but I think that first of all, the importance of commemorating is something which, uh, or observing, or rather, it's not just a mere celebration. Or I mean, I don't uh, again, once again, that uh, mere adjective is not really appropriate. So it's not just a celebration, but it's also something sober and important. I feel that that once again. For the current generation, for the activists, the queer activists uh, who are coming up now and taking the lead in making things move forward, I think it's very important to look at the past for them and also, you know, an occasion such as the celebration of the 20th, 20th anniversary celebration of Friendship Walk. Uh, if you look at the programming of that event, there was this panel discussion where there was actually a wonderful mix of the old timers and the uh, contemporary queer activists. So uh, the discussion that happened was extremely rich because so there were things like, you know, the old timers saying that, okay, uh, w- what is it that motivated us to start off on something like a sidewalk? And uh, what were the challenges that we faced? Were they necessarily challenges external to us or were they our own psychological challenges because for example the fear factor uh, that I'm doing something which may invite a negative reaction how did we mobilize people and all of that Mm -hmm. and then it was so refreshing to also listen to the contemporary pride organizers from different cities in eastern and northeastern India 
गुवाहाटी भुवनेश्वर इस्लामपुर इन वेस्ट बंगाल चंदन नगर सो एंड एंड टू हियर दोज एक्टिविस्ट टॉक अबाउट देर प्रायोरिटीज एंड वे दे आर कमिंग फ्रॉम वॉट आर द इश्यूज दे आर ट्राइंग टू हाईलाइट वॉट आर द चैलेंजेस दे फेस सो आई थिंक दैट any kind of such observation or commemoration of a past event is a wonderful occasion it's an opportunity for uh, people from different walks from people from different stages of the movement if i can call it that mm-hmm. to be together and strategize and to look at uh, where things have improved or where things might be going wrong actually mm-hmm. for example uh, the earliest uh kolkata pride box not the very first one which actually you know it happened in 1999 and then there were there was a break and then when the box were revived uh in kolkata that was 2003 and within 4 years a lot had actually changed you know for for one big change was and i i don't think i had talked about this the last time was that in most of the 90s the greater part of the 90s the word transgender was yet to really make a proper appearance mm. no we were more familiar with the term transsexual but transgender was still relatively unheard of but by the time it was 2003 uh the terminology had evolved uh transgender as a concept as a uh, identity term as an umbrella identity term was beginning to be heard more and more uh, more often and there were more people identifying as transgender and within that you know there was a lot of debate there about uh, whether the hijras are part of transgender or not or are kotis transgender or not so it so happens that the first few walks between 2003 and 2007 or 8 were actually dominated by the participation was dominated by trans persons mostly transgender women and i am using that as an umbrella term uh, very consciously also pointing out that there would be a lot of different forms or ways of uh, trans identification under that umbrella term mm-hmm. so there were more people from the suburbs actually in all those years and that was because of some of the queer support groups that had come up after council club had closed down and or or some of the groups that were contemporaries of council club so uh, somehow that particular feature changed over the years mm-hmm. so you know the, the uh, i remember that there used to be an e forum called gay calcutta which mm-hmm. was actually like a spin off of gay bombay and we used to have a lot of uh information sharing debates discussions uh on gay calcutta and i remember that there were a number of gay men uh or possibly bisexual men who were extremely critical of the pride walk uh and you also used to have a film festival in those days uh the siddharth gautam film festival they were very critical saying that oh this is not really activism this is just soft activism and then pavan dhal why are you walking with people from such a class as transgender persons they are sex workers uh, they are low class and i can't even you know repeat all the adjectives that were used so my argument would be that 
first of all uh, it is the trans persons who have actually given visibility to the movement and much longer before than 15 uh, gay or bisexual men or their allies decided to walk on the kolkata streets mm-hmm. that was the friendship walk so and they are the ones who are fighting for our rights in the most public in the most visible manner and so now i understand that you have limitations in coming out which is understandable but why are you running down why are you putting down other queer people who are willing to stick their necks out mm-hmm. and so if you think that the pride walk should be different why don't you come and participate yourself and there would be no coherent reply and it was all very classist very misogynist very sexist uh, and very disappointing mm. but eventually from 2008 or 9 a greater number of gay men from kolkata started participating and a lot of this also changed when parallel pride walks started off in bangalore mumbai and delhi so somehow uh, you know there was this much greater enthusiasm among gay men uh, to participate and uh, so but the problem is that uh, most most of these gay men were middle class or upper middle class i i won't say all of them there was a fair mix actually but still uh, there were quite a few of uh, uh, upper middle class or middle class folks now participating and that it was like a gentrification of the walk mm. and it's a it's a quite a telling comment that over the years it happened very gradually but it did happen over the years participation of hijra community leaders which was there in i i remember distinctly in 2007 uh sex workers were there in 2004 or uh, in the subsequent years uh even up to 2011 we made an effort to reach out to the hijra community leaders and invite them to participate and they had a lot of questions they would they were actually questioning the need for such a pride walk so you know their perspective was different but they were they agreed to participate but 2012 onwards i have not seen similar participation from uh hijra community leaders yes there has been a increase in participation of people assigned female at birth uh which is welcome which is which was also missing in the earlier years but this has been like a regression and i feel that the current day organizers need to acknowledge this they need to understand that something has gone wrong why should not why shouldn't everyone be there why aren't we reaching out when we organize a pride walk uh why aren't we reaching out to different uh sections of the community mm. uh and can we really claim to be taking along everyone with us and uh how much does it really take to make that effort maybe maybe the hijra leaders will say oh get lost we don't want to talk to you but what about making that effort mm. so this is one example where i think uh the past is important and why you should observe uh it's our it's our own history and where will we go without looking at the past it seems from um 
the way the way kind of did you explain a very interesting trajectory of the pride walk in Kolkata it seems like almost as if the tag of first for the 1999 walk is a little mm-hmm. overrated and overemphasized um especially in the recent years i don't think it was that emphasized earlier yeah uh, post or around 2018 the verdict and everything it's everybody started mentioning it and and i'm wondering then it, and i think you mentioned it earlier in uh, the previous conversation that we had had it's more about yeah. capital you know and uh, sharing of like or not sharing but extracting resources so it becomes a little competitive when you claim to be the first yeah uh, i think so i i just want to add that uh i mean in a certain sense it was the first and also i think the commemoration of 20 years also gave it uh, much more visibility and uh, that this happened in uh, june and july 2019 and then uh, uh several of us were there in the rainbow lit fest held in delhi uh, in december 2019 so it was important for the first walk to get that kind of visibility because otherwise as i see the the communities the organizers in delhi or mumbai they there's hardly any there was hardly any acknowledgement and i mean there there are these wide eyed youngsters saying oh my god something like this happened in kolkata in 1999 so that also has to be countered mm-hmm. uh that also has to be addressed but at the same time we have to i i would want to be definitely be uh, would want to qualify all of that by saying that we should say that okay it was probably the first or possibly the first pride walk but otherwise pride as it is is something which can be demonstrated in so many other ways it doesn't have to be people marching or in a procession uh, it that is one form but not the only form and as once again gender queer people or trans persons people who were non normative in their gender expressions have been demonstrating pride individually and collectively for a very long time and once again the hijra community comes to mind so i think that uh, that also is our past uh, and or or the current in fact it's also our present and we have to talk about all of this I don't think I asked you this question last time, but um, um, after the fire, um, the release of the film Fire, the Babendra's Fire, yeah. there was a controversy, yeah. uh, especially if I'm not mistaken, in Bombay, the Shiv Sena yeah. uh, really protested, and I think also kind of uh, vandalized theaters. Mm. And then there was a lot of, lot of, um, let's say, I wouldn't call it like presence. but there was definitely a discourse around the indian lesbian figure um yeah. and this was also the time when a couple of anthologies like yarana and facing the mirror uh hoshang mochu's yarana and ashwini sathangar's facing the mirror came out in 1999 uh, yeah. if i'm not mistaken later part of 1999 so okay. i was wondering like so what happened to make these events possible uh within maybe a span of a year and a half like was there some kind of collective energy that was brewing and also i i'm keen to understand also how council club functioned 
at this mm-hmm. moment and the kind of uh, support system or even publications that Pravartak may have come up with at the early uh, period, uh, you know, early 2000s. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I would say in many ways, uh, when I look back and uh, I think that that was a phase which was like a rising curve for the Indian queer movements. And uh, and I, I want to emphasize the plural because there was no one single strand. Mm-hmm. There were several. And many things were happening parallel to each other, but possibly also feeding off each other. So the fire controversy definitely made things much more publicly visible, uh, brought the issue of homosexuality and in particular uh, same-sex love between women into the public domain. And that must have been playing on everyone's mind that, okay, so this has happened and we have to assert ourselves even more. We are no longer just some submerged in the shadows kind of a movement. We are emerging now. And uh, as far as I know, uh, so the Kolkata Pride Walk also was actually the brainchild of uh, queer activist Oves Khan, Mm. uh, who had then facilitated the formation of an online countrywide network, LGBT India. Today, there are many other such networks of same of the same name or similar names, but that was the very first initiative. And uh, they, it had ambitions of becoming an offline network also, but there were limitations to that. I mean, there was a lot of, there were many other disagreements, debates, dissent, etc., that never happened, at least as an online network, it was doing a pretty good job. And so OVF also uh, proposed this walk to several groups in different cities, not just to council club or integration. And the idea was to do parallel walks in several cities. Mm-hmm. So most importantly, Delhi, Mumbai, Bangalore and Kolkata and possibly Hyderabad. Yeah, also Hyderabad, not possibly. So, all of this, actually, there were discussions happening everywhere. And Council Club, the Council Club archives, which uh, I have with me, they have records of all these conversations. And ultimately, somehow what happened was that actually, politically, Calcutta was the best place to organize the walk. Because Mumbai was uh, under the sway of Shiv Sena. Hyderabad uh, people did not have that many resources. Similarly in Delhi and Bangalore folks, I think they were thinking of organizing something, but then for various reasons, and I'm not quite aware why, it didn't happen. So Calcutta was like the last city standing. Mm-hmm. And uh, also, you know, it was very, in a way, very befitting because Calcutta and Bengal have been pioneers in many other uh, social movements. And uh, so this was possibly it was like, uh, in a way, again, historically speaking, something which was happening in Calcutta, it wasn't surprising that it was happening. And for the anthologies that you mentioned, I think that uh, I'm sure the way books actually get published, work on them must have been happening uh, even for, for from uh, much longer before. Right. It's just that they got published in the year 99. But uh, definitely everything was leading up to this. And also in Council Club, uh, Pravartak as a journal was 
beginning to do better and better in terms of its the the quality of writing uh the uh, number of copies being published the outreach and the distribution and that in it in turn was feeding into media interaction so uh we had a we used to have this media interaction events uh at least in 99 and 2000 we tried organizing quarterly such interactions with the media to be proactive and to talk to them about what our issues were what we were wanting what our goals were and not just leave it to them to pick up a story here or there mm-hmm. and then uh come up with something sensational and very biased so we had one such event in uh, i think it was uh, the first quarter of 99 and we were actually focusing on some very regressive reporting feature article writing in anand bazar patrika where uh, dr nilanjana sanyal a mental health professional who was quite well known and quite a media figure at that time she had given an interview where she had made claims like okay be careful uh, telling parents that be careful about servants in your house they may make your child homosexual or if you send your child to a hostel they may become homosexual so all kinds of crap and all kinds of sorry to use that word but that is what it was and uh, homophobia to the extreme dressed up and presented in a newspaper like anand bazar patrika which had a huge uh, circulation it yeah. was one of the largest circulating dailies and uh, we said we have to counter this so in fact so we had a media interaction and we invited as many journalists as we knew and my colleague rafikul hagdoja who was also one of the uh, first persons to really push for the pride walk along with oves uh, he and another colleague they visited the abp office fought with the editor and said that you have to send the same correspondent who did the interview with nilanjana sanya and she has to attend our event and hear our side of the story you cannot just publish this and get away with it Mm. and anyway if you don't send your correspondent every other publication in the city is doing it you are the only one who are going to be left out so actually that uh, the correspondent she did turn up very skeptical in the beginning but she stayed on the longest she had hours and hours of conversation with people from sapo people from council club and integration uh, a sister ngo of council club and by the end of it she actually said i'm so thankful i came because i had a very negative idea about all of you and today you've opened my eyes and i'm going to try and do my best to write something positive mm-hmm. and it did happen and this landmark article came out called chai chap of fire uh it was in april 99 and uh they published abp hardly does this but they published a postback number and just that one single exposure led to more than 3000 letters uh which was probably even more than all the letters that we had received till then oh, and huge yeah and and so we lost count of how many letters to be replied to and then uh, for the first time there were many women who wrote in because uh, sapo's founders were also 
Sapo hadn't happened as yet, but the, there was uh, the lesbian and bisexual women's network in the city. They were moving towards the formation of Sapo, and uh, Sapo took birth on the 20th of June in 1999, another major event actually, a major development in the same year. And But actually, this media coverage gave a huge boost to their efforts. Mm. So, this was also there in the back of our minds when we were thinking of the Pride Walk. And it was all tied up. Uh, I think all these events fed into each other. But, you know, in those days, the biggest difference is that in those days, there was no social media. So, like today, you use, you open your mobile phone and there is so much clamor, there is so much noise, there is so much color. It's all excess, actually. But in those days, I remember that, okay, the Pride Walk happened. There was media coverage. There were huge headlines. But then there was silence. So it almost seemed like an anticlimax. That, okay, we did something like this, but what after this? And where is, uh, you know, is, shouldn't there be some more talk? Shouldn't there be some more halla? So it was like that one had to keep on doing these things to keep the momentum going. Uh, but then the good part is that, I mean, that was the first such effort. And uh, although it took four years for the walk to be revived, but uh, there were many other silent changes that happened. And that was in the form of many younger queer people, even years later, telling us that we read about the Pride Walk, the first Pride Walk. And uh, we kind of, it was so inspiring and we couldn't participate, but it was just out of this world to see that some such thing was happening in Kolkata. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I also remember uh, that recently, uh, or maybe not re- I mean, just yesterday or day before, I think there was some event, right, by Sappho. I yeah. saw your pictures. Was it something to do with sensitizing uh, the media or was it? No, this was more of a community gathering, community meeting to strategize on, you know, how do we take the movement forward in the current context, especially because, of, uh, you know, there has been, uh, there have been major socio-political changes, especially since 2014, uh, although things were happening even before that, but the political scenario, the right-wing domination has changed the picture quite a lot. And we've had a string of positive socio-legal developments in terms of the Nalsa judgment or Johar or Kuttu uh, Swami uh, or a variety of other, like the Madras High Court verdict on uh, directing the National Medical Commission to overhaul the MBBS curriculum uh, and uh, root out all the homophobia in the curriculum. And then several verdicts from the higher courts on uh, queer couple cohabitation. So all of this has happened, but in a way, we are still floundering and we don't know, uh, you know, we haven't yet thought out clearly about what next. Because there is this certain section of the queer community that is all invested in same-sex marriage or in queer marriages. Whereas for a lot of other people, not only that is not a personal priority, but it also is a, a faulty way of moving forward because it's like putting the cart before the horse because there are many other fundamental changes that need to happen. 
with regard to uh, for example uh, changes around uh, uh, actually you know the core issue that is there today livelihood how are queer people so many of the queer people who are part of the very large informal sector of the economy how are they to earn a better living how are they to survive especially post pandemic and uh, then there are other issues around uh, even issues around adoption or uh, and adoption doesn't have to be connected to marriage right. uh, then issues of surrogacy uh, what about joint bank accounts that is still not possible as easily as it should be what about nominating somebody who's queer for my life insurance policies so these are some day to day fundamental questions which the community is not animated about which i find very disturbing there are so many young queer couples who connect with vartha all the time and they keep asking uh, sir when is the court going to give a verdict on same sex marriage mm-hmm. because in their imagination marriage will solve everything and i don't know where they are coming from because haven't they seen what marriage has done <laughs> to people all around you though i can also understand that they believe that they sincerely believe that marriage will facilitate togetherness or that they will be able to stand up to family pressure yeah. or police police pressure so that uh, i mean for people who think marriage is a way of surviving better uh i don't want to undermine their desire but i feel that they are that they need to be more realistic because so now post chauhar there have been so many cases of queer couples with the, the families trying to separate them and the police being in the cahoots but uh, eventually some of these couples have managed to reach the high courts with the help of ngos and cbos and uh, the courts have said why not you can cohabitate because section 377 has been read down in any case you are two adults two consenting adults so the family has no business trying to separate you but if you study these verdicts closely even in some of these verdicts there is a certain value judgment for example for a queer couple in a trans couple or rather a mixed gender couple in odisha the court actually said that yes you have absolute right to be together but at the same time the woman uh, so this was a trans man cis woman couple so the cis woman was being detained by her family and the police and they were trying their best to separate the two persons mm-hmm. but eventually she managed to be with her partner but then the court also told her that it's all right you can live with your partner but don't forget your duty towards your mother and your sister so it was so ironical that these were the same persons who were trying to uh, confine the woman in her room in her house and the court is pointing out that don't forget your duty yeah so it's like you take one step forward and several sideways well, and yeah. then the fact is that after the court has uh, given this verdict fortunately all the couples that we have come to know have not faced any further harassment by the police but what about their daily lives you know uh, for example again this odisha couple the woman had to still struggle 
to get all her certificates her graduation certificate her identity cards from her home from her natal family they just hid away all the documents trying their best to make life difficult for her so uh the court verdicts are not enough what happens after the couple starts living together what kind of social reactions are there and are they able to live uh, without does the minority stress come down for them or do they now face uh, even more trouble as a queer couple how how does their neighborhood or their landlord react to it hmm. and so who's going to make these changes is marriage really going to solve this i'm i'm also wondering like of course you have published the book that we discussed earlier but do you think that uh, since you uh, i think sometime back you talked about reaching out to the media and you know making your work more uh, accessible to the public so do you think yeah. like popular media can help we are having so many movies these days on gay marriages lesbian marriages we which i didn't like much i forgot the name i think it was ayushman khurana a marrying this yeah woman um yeah i mean it was very problematic on many levels but do you think that if they give a certain kind of so called positive image about uh, the the uh, either the queer community or the trans community that kind of percolates down to the masses who may not read a book but may or watch huh. that film yes absolutely there is potential uh, frankly though i haven't seen chandigarh kare aashiqui or yeah, uh, shubman uh, Sh- uh, shubmangal savdhan was different right that was about i, I think it was zada savdhan hash yeah zada savdhan so uh, point is again you know there is this always there uh, i i know i'm going to be shouted down saying that oh this is there has to be some marketing element in the names of the films etc and even a publication like anandu bazar patrika way back in 95 when they first wrote about pravartak being available in classic books uh, on middleton street the headline of the article was shomokami der patrika akun khola akashe bikri hocche so it's like yeah i mean somewhere or the other they have to give that pack that oh this is actually something sensational quote and quote dirty and anti social or something thing and it's being done in the open so again why zada savdhan so mm. you know uh, i don't know if what kind of impact it may have had i haven't seen these films and frankly the point is i actually am scared of seeing these films because i don't want to uh, i anyways as part of my work and in my day to day life i am seeing these films being acted out in real life and i don't want to go to the big screen and again uh see all of that and then if i see that there is no nuance that it is like some schoolboy's fantasy uh some adolescent kind of filmmaking then i am not going to have a good time at all yeah no i'd I rather watch like some of some conjuring. of the, yeah sorry i i yeah. like a few of them like dilip puchi and also mm-hmm. uh, recently badhai do huh. yeah i didn't like the ending but i overall liked a lot of things that they did so there was a lot of nuance in yeah uh, there was this um, i'm forgetting the netflix series uh, where there were four short films four or five short films and couple of them had queer characters uh 
that was much more a uh, modern sensitive. love mumbai no not modern love uh, i will have to look up my diary because i write down the names of films i see so uh, this was a series it, it had actually four or five short stories uh, and so that was one good example and then of course my mind always goes back to my brother nikhil ek ladki ko dekha to aisa laga was like uh, a very honest effort but it was such a textbook effort yeah. uh, uh i would say that uh, the, the film uh, where uh, uh, i'm forgetting the name again i'm so bad with the names sonam uh, which had uh, no not sonam which had uh, there was this it, it was about um, a young girl with uh, possibly with the uh, cerebral palsy oh it right. was a film Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, Kalki was there, right? Yeah, Kalki was there. Yeah. Exactly. I remember. So this was 2016 or so, 15 or 16, mm-hmm. and there was much more nuance in that. And then there is also um, in uh, when you talk about Bengali films, then something I liked quite a bit was Shamantaral, which was uh, where Parumbrato had acted a transgender character in that. So. Mm-hmm. I I just felt that that was actually a better film. I actually reviewed that film and I didn't like it much. Okay. Uh, huh. I mean, I'm doing comparisons here. What I was trying to say is like, you know, like uh, people are so used to seeing um certain characters as either dying in the end, like there's either the tragic end and this is something which also came up uh, yesterday in a book discussion uh so Sandeep Roy's book Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah was being discussed um and uh, he was also emphasizing on the fact that earlier it was just a for comic relief or a tragic you know purposes so yeah. so it's interesting to see some of these films kind of come out of that uh, zone right. uh and in some of them of course are very plainly celebratory but others like gilipuchi have much more nuance uh so yeah so that that's so, Just about yeah, it. I agree that films will uh, uh, have a lot of potential. Uh, no doubt about that. And uh, but then you know, uh, it's it's uh, there. There is much more. Uh, for for example, even if you look at this Cobalt Blue, yeah, uh, yeah. I believe. I mean, the the book also had some problems in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't read the book, but I've read a lot about it. and the film was so beautiful in many ways mm-hmm. but then the film is like a supposed to be like a pale comparison with regard to the book so i think it has to be on all the fronts and actually one has to go beyond films and books one has to actually look at curriculum right. uh, uh whether it is for mbbs definitely that is an area where gender and sexuality has to be the the conversations around gender and sexuality have to be completely overhauled mm-hmm. but also in the syllabus for other subjects in school and college that's where the major difference is likely to happen in the long run mm-hmm. is this what uh, varsha trust is invested it in right now i see a lot of events uh, i think i saw an event on mental health recently uh, but i was just curious to know what are your projects right now so uh, for varta trust uh, one of the most important uh, activities at the moment is uh, around livelihood issues as i mentioned earlier 
and uh, we we have set up a economic inclusion mentoring forum so this also involves uh, a lot of sensitization of different stakeholders but also parallel to all of this there is this uh, activity that we keep on doing with different educational institutions i don't think we are equipped to go to institutions anywhere below the higher secondary level but uh, we have been doing a number of sessions in school in in high schools and colleges and universities uh, talking to students and teachers uh, trying to engage them in our activities uh, so that also is part of our activity along with the publication of the monthly webzine and uh, there is work happening around queer archive archival research and legal aid uh that is something which keeps happening people approaching us for legal advice and i think uh, all of this put together i would say 50% of our work is uh, of our work is actually uh sensitizations trying to open up minds trying to you know encourage people to think differently and also at the same time we have to have a guard up in the sense that they can also be the potential for a lot of pink washing because especially corporate bodies because they all want to become inclusive today diverse and inclusive and have fantastic policies on paper which don't get translated uh, into action mm-hmm. not in the way that they are written mm-hmm. and i i would say that yes uh, this is, it is a matter of time they also need time to bring about a work culture but then it's been quite a while now that dni has become like the talk of the town and the flavor of the month that doesn't go away it comes up every pride month and but then just that one month there is so much show there is so much noise and what happens for the remaining 11 months yeah and i i mean this year somehow a lot of our events including a series of webinars that we are organizing actually these webinars are related to the work that we do on the regard to a online locator for queer friendly health legal aid and covid-19 services mm-hmm. so uh, it was a commitment uh, we made to the service providers who are listed on the online locator that we will organize a number of webinars to as a refresher session for for them because they they are practicing professionals whether they are lawyers or counselors or doctors but there is a lot happening that they may not be aware about so the idea is to talk about issues as you might have seen to talk about polyamory or intersect issues or uh, what is queer affirmative counseling uh, we are also going to look at the next webinar is on the 3rd of july we're going to look at uh, how are actually cbos and ngos at the ground level or individual activists how are they translating judgments like nalta and johar into action at the field level mm. because anyways the government has abdicated whether the state government or the central government they have done nothing literally nothing to honor the johar verdict <coughs> it's the ngos that are pushing the ball so this is what our work is all about at the moment yeah and it's a very uh, important work 
I was wondering, you actually mentioned about the archives earlier, and I forgot to ask you, like, since your book is actually an archive, did you face any issues while collecting these uh, stories, um, especially because you're so close to maybe some of the people whom you talked to, whose letters were published? And yeah. how does one, like someone like me, uh, access these primary material, or for that matter, the Anandabajar Proktrika uh, articles that you refer to, is Varta Trust also uh, having like a you know digital archive of sorts where we can look at this stuff? Well, yes. So, uh, as I mentioned, uh, so first I'll answer about the archives yeah. that uh, we have uh, as part of our social research agenda, uh, apart from looking at issues around public health or economic inclusion, a lot of our work is around preserving, uh, cataloging, sorting, cataloging and digitizing the archival material that we have. And we are also encouraging other groups to do the same. So now a lot of so this primary material at some stage will be available for researchers and students. We we are working out a policy also for how you can access that material. But parallel to that, and this has been happening right since the start of Vata Webzine, we have been, you know, looking at different themes and different stories or different aspects that are reflected in the archives. And we have been publishing articles based on the archives. So in the Vata webzine, uh, or rather the Vata website, if you look up the research section, you will find a section called Council Club Archives, mm-hmm. where you will find all the copies of Pravarta digitized and uploaded. And then you will also find a collection of articles published under this column called From the Archives, where you will actually find a lot of the archival material, the information contained in there uh, has been sort of brought forward in a more uh, reader-friendly manner. Because, I mean, no, not everyone can be expected to go through thousands and thousands of letters and journals and files and reports. So our idea is to bring forth these stories and once again encourage people to look at what was happening in the past. So Coming to the question, uh, does that answer your question about... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right. All right. And so about the... Uh, so I have mentioned in the book itself that I had this concern in mind that when I'm going to be talking to people I have worked with in the past and we may have had differences also and actually I might have not had recognized those differences or uh, I might have... Uh, kind of uh, been a little roughshod about it because I do remember myself being under quite a bit of stress and that stress would show in so many uh, ways. So it is quite possible that I might have dismissed a suggestion or dismissed an idea or I may not have been soft and kind enough maybe. So I had this worry that how would people 25 years later uh, answer my questions or talk with me or share with me? Would they be open about all of this? And if they are open and if they are critical, how would I feel about it? Uh, because I would, I mean, this is in, in many ways almost semi-autobiographical also, uh, the book. So, uh, because I was, I'm not an outsider writing the book, I was part of it all. And so were these individuals. 
so there was this concern but then there were couple of occasions where i felt a tad defensive but then uh, i did manage to sort of keep keep that aside and uh, in fact on one occasion for one of the respondents uh, who's been interviewed for the book i apologized that uh, i probably had not understood what they were trying to say this is actually about a queer support group that had come up in uh, a remote part of odisha in 2000 2001 mm. and although my colleague uh, rafikul and i had been to that particular place in 2000 but we were there for just 3 days and so yeah that was a huge learning experience but then we were not living there so it is quite possible that we would not have understood uh, the the concerns of the group there and how they were trying to function so ultimately that group lasted for just about a couple of years and most of their work was through the gateway of hiv but they never really got around to talking about gender and sexuality per se so now when i was talking to this person who had formed that group uh, when i was when i was talking to him for the book he brought forward certain issues and saying that we had expected more help uh, we had expected all of you to understand things a little better and uh, i had to accept that he was right so there were these uh, occasions and i think i i, I mean i've uh, possibly grown a bit if that is not too pompous to make a claim because uh, it 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 has made me conscious that even now when i am working in vata and i am interacting with groups and networks uh, in different parts of india and often from smaller towns so i just have to keep my ideas and my suggestions i should not you know i yes i should share them but i should remember that i am not there uh, there are these other individuals who live there who are leading the show and uh, they are not necessarily going to accept what i have to say right yeah it's almost like the ethnographer kind of going into yeah it is it is then uh, i i am not i am a researcher by training of sorts like on the job training uh, i am academically i have Uh, learned about research but as an activist this has been my learning and uh, i think that is quite a bit of it is reflected on how uh, the earlier queer activists also were making mistakes about how they were dealing with labels or with identities you know uh, for example i remember there was this feedback from the ground level that there are these activists who are insisting that anyone interested in men or men of any kind interested in men are gay but gay may not be how a lot of people identify they may identify as koti or they may identify as just a man and uh, as activists we have to learn to be respectful of that right. we cannot impose our ideas or our thoughts on everyone yeah i think it also comes from like a power position which yes. especially like from a very urban metropolitan center people going into smaller yes. cities or towns and trying no to- uh, 
so so this was happening in calcutta itself in the outreach areas of kolkata itself and uh, but it's not always that uh, about urban dwellers going to rural areas and and this power hierarchy this power dynamic can happen in any circumstance it's like anyone who has more power has to be more conscious right. of how they are using that power i just if you have time i just want to share something very interesting no. about yeah. uh, this uh, so for example the pride walk uh, that happens in islampur in uttar dinajpur district uh, it hasn't see, it doesn't seem to have happened in the last couple of years possibly because of the pandemic but even earlier there was a lot of participation of the district level government authorities in the pride walk and this was something i was very curious about uh so i had so the person the keeper among the key persons there is this trans activist joyita mondal mm-hmm. who was uh, who's based in islampur and she was taking the lead in organizing a pride walk first in islampur and then in gangarampur in dakshin dinajpur so uh what i was very surprised to see and other people also in kolkata had reacted about this is that uh you are working with the local government you are taking their support uh yeah, even you know you invite them to the programs and uh, uh they are there as special guests or chief guests and speakers and uh you are taking their administrative support possibly also they are contributing in terms of funds maybe not as government bodies but as individuals so isn't there a problem in this because when we are doing the pride march in kolkata we are always so critical of the government and the only interaction we have with the government is the police commission hmm. so beyond that it is all actually critical of the government whereas here you are actually collaborating with them so her response was and this is an interview which has been published in three parts in vartha uh in one of those sections she responded by saying that look this is again your perspective from somebody from kolkata whereas in the districts the government has a much bigger presence in the lives of the marginalized you know the uh, whether you like it or not whether it is uh, trans persons or uh, people from the scheduled caste or scheduled tribes or people with disabilities their interaction with the government is much more the district authorities the administration or for example ngos working on hiv they have to interact with the district aids prevention control units uh, they have to interact with the panchayat panchayati raj institutions so there's no two ways about it and you have to collaborate and the point is that it's not as if that we are surrendering our right to criticize the government so they are there in the pride walk they are supporting us they are being encouraging which is great but for example joyita's group at least at that stage had demonstrated against the nrc the caa and all all such uh, government proposals mm. they have been critical about the service delivery of district authorities or of uh, the public distribution system so her point was that Uh, you don't have to worry we are 
collaborating with the government, but we are not surrendering our right to criticize them. It was quite an eye-opener. Yeah, I think I, you mentioned this in the last interview as well, and it's kind of a very tricky uh, sort yes. of negotiation, which I think also I have seen in with regard to a lot of trans people uh, negotiating with the government. Uh, especially yeah. with regard to the bill and then now the rules that have come up after the uh, the bill was passed and it's fascinating to see how you work you have to actually work you have at, to yeah yeah uh, across I think countries yeah also in the previous conversation you had asked about uh, the participation of the wings uh, employee yeah. resource uh, group of the tatars yeah uh, in <laughs> yeah. the observation of the 20th uh-huh. pride war Right. So uh, that again is a similar tricky area because point is that yes, uh, the corporates have their own agenda whenever they participate in the Pride Walk and they want their banner, they want their name, etc. And then it's almost as if look how great we are. We participated in the Pride Walk. We are inclusive. So please promote our logo. Please promote our brand. So it's a very simple equation in their mind. And which is not always uh, which is not what we are looking for. Mm-hmm. Uh, and our point is that if you want to participate in the Pride Walk, then do so. But uh, you don't have to wear your T-shirt or your logo or your buttons or whatever. Yeah. Uh, be in the spirit of the Pride and walk like everyone else. And Kolkata Pride actually did away with all banners since 2011 organizational banners. That was a conscious decision that over the years, organizational politics has crept into the organizing of the war. And one needs to go beyond that. One needs to make it more community-owned. Because I, at the end of the day, NGOs and CBOs can also be gatekeepers. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, and, and similarly, the corporates can also be coming in with their own narrower agenda. And, but at the same time, this is, one also has to recognize that they are a part of our socio-economic life and uh, they're not going anywhere. They, they are providing a lot of services. Mm-hmm. And although the corporate sector is minuscule compared to the informal sector, but if you look at the larger world of business, then we have to work with the business persons. We have to work with corporate organizations, corporate agencies. And uh, they they are potential employers. Yeah. So, at whatever level, if they are making an effort to be inclusive, then let us engage with them and not sign them off entirely. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the fact is that today there are several NGOs and CBOs working with the corporate world across the countries in trying to generate more employment, more inclusive employment opportunities. Right. So, also uh, for the particular event that I am talking about, the engagement of Tata Steel wasn't providing space for the panel discussion that happened at the end of the event. Yeah, for those who uh, may not know, this was a reference to the 20th uh, anniversary of the Kolkata Friendship Walk, which was held in uh, 2019, and Tata didn't sponsor it, but the walk yeah, they didn't ended. sponsor it. Yeah, but the walk ended at a Tata uh, auditorium, if I'm not mistaken. And so the banner was pretty visible. And I think, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Varta Trust had uploaded the video uh, from the panel. Yes, 
there is an entire website which, which was created for the 20th anniversary event so it's called friendshipwalk20.com uh, it's a wordpress website and and it was everything was in the walk also it was very clear that there will be no organizational banners but all individuals or organizations who contributed would be have been acknowledged in the website thank you so much for doing this this was i think even more extensive than the yeah we've talked longer <laughs> yeah yeah it's almost i think more than an hour now so not mistaken so thank you so much and i'll send you the edited uh, audio this time i i i guess it's going to be fine <laughs> thank i hope so <laughs> Good night. And by the way, oh, I remember I forgot to tell people that you are single, right? So you're looking for a groom or a whatever prospective groom. <laughs> Who have you been telling this to? <laughs> <laughs> I, I haven't told to anyone, but yeah, I mean, you can. Okay. But this is a good way for you to reach out to a larger. I don't know. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> you mean this recording? <laughs> yeah, the recording. Okay. No, now I'm blushing too deeply to say anything. <laughs> okay. Good night. Good night. Okay. Thanks so much.